Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as ever, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Howdy, Julian. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, but uh, having watched Westworld, uh, I realize my hands look really strange. <laughs> I'm wondering what that means. Yeah, having an existential moment, just looking at your hands, having looking at your knuckles. How are you doing, um, man? I'm not too bad. And as you can say, I was feeling the Westworld love. And uh, I, thought, I thought I'd bring bring in a little bit of the look. Um, it's not going to last. In fact, I'm going to take it off now because I'm wearing this. It's already getting a little hot. So, um, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are now getting into our sort of uh, it, between season um, between season bonus episodes. And uh, this year, uh, we are going to be doing a block of Westworld. Uh, starting with the 1973 um, Michael Crichton movie, uh, and then working our way through the television series, the HBO television series. So uh, before, well, then we'll be getting on to season four and doing our 50s block before we go into uh, the rest of our films. But yeah, 1973 and Westworld. This, this is an interesting. This is a definitely uh, a 70s future film. <laughs> Um, I kind of like it. Um, ha- I'm interested in, in some of this film's 70s gender politics as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, overall, I actually really enjoyed this film, going back to this film. I think it's a really good... Uh, the amount of films that owe something to this film uh, is is going to be interesting to talk about as well. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it's really good fun. And uh, Yul Brynner, of all of them, is clearly having a ball doing this film. Um, well, I mean, apparently he just did it for the money. But, uh, you know, I mean, he had played Western roles before. So it was sort of like, yeah, you know, let's throw him in there. I, I guess they did most of the casting like in the two days before they started shooting. <laughs> you know? uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I love this movie. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of these movies that kind of like doesn't amount to too much. Mm. Uh, it's just a good yarn. And I, and I think that Crichton, uh, I mean, he directed this, but I think Crichton stories kind of are like that, that they don't really, even when they try to amount to something like Jurassic Park, it's very light. And, you know, it's sort of like tonally there, but uh, really it's the adventure that counts. Yeah. And I think this is just a 90 minute, it's in, it's out, it, it's good stuff. Well, th- th- yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's really fast paced. I mean, th- this to me uh, feels m- more in the mold of those seventies disaster films. Mm-hmm. You know, like you set up the cast, you set up um, the world in which it's going to be in. You know, so you get this sort of like it's it's not so much an ensemble cast as in sort of like Tower and Inferno or Earthquake or the Poseidon Adventure. It's not, it's not one of those, but you are definitely given a sort of a. Um, like a, 
a rogues gallery of characters to sort of that will be continually be revisited through the film. So when the disaster hits, you can go, well, let's go see what's happening with them. <laughs> uh, but I like that that you do get to visit those different worlds. Well, and you know, I like seventies disaster movies, mm. and I like seventies sci-fi. I mean, you know. There's less of it than 50s sci-fi, but maybe at some point we'll have to do a 70s block. Mm. Um, you know, 70s sci-fi is, you know, it it is so weird. It is so sort of like, it's in this like liminal state between just silly, stupid, and uh, and super serious. But it it is at this point where it can let itself be meditative and thoughtful and and odd, and yet also dramatic uh i don't know it's it's a very strange thing um but yeah i'm i'm with you i like the disaster movie thing but i love that you know spoilers that mm-hmm. you know unlike you know what is so miserable about disaster movies is watching that ensemble cast all survive and then yeah. you've got to follow them all you know and it's like oh the boy dodged a dinosaur yet again you know or mm. you know towering inferno you know that most of them survive um you know here one character survives and then it just becomes a sort of chase movie uh yeah. that, that really owes you know you brown on disaster but owes a lot to horror mm. um you know my theory is that um basically almost everything that people like about Terminator outside of the look of Terminator comes from Westworld. Oh, 100%. I completely agree. In fact, I will go to, so I, I, I I'll backtrack and give a bit more information about the film in a sec, but there is a shot in this film. Um, and I was watching this on the big screen. I was sat watching it. It's towards the end. And it's when the character, uh, Richard Benjamin character, um, you know, he, he's gone into like the main hub and he's in the sort of the factory area. <clears throat> and you've got all the the other robots lying around, and it kicks to uh, Yul Brynner, and it's sort of an, an upward shot of him walking down the corridor, and the 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 uh, Brynner sort of goes into shadow, into light, into shadow, into light, mm-hmm. and his his eyes that beautiful effect they have to make the eyes glassy and stuff looks great, and you just have that look, and I was like, wait a minute, and I went and checked that shot is replicated pretty much perfectly with the uh, endoskeleton of the um, Terminator when they get to the factory um, in Terminator. And I was like, yeah, James Cameron, clearly a big fan of this film. <laughs> yeah, that's a good catch. And I also think the way the, the gunslinger gets sort of, uh, you know, he gets burned up. Mm. You know, that reminds me a lot of Terminator 2, just watching that robot keep coming despite being on fire and everything else uh, is... Uh, you know, very much like Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, so the research I did after watching that said that, like, James Cameron is a fan of this film, but more than that, <clears throat> when Arnie was cast, he said, go watch Westworld and just watch <laughs> the way Yul Brynner moves, and that should inform the way the Terminator moves. And I can see that, totally. Um, just to go back there, yeah, so Westworld, uh, released in 1973, Starring, as we said, uh, Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, James Brolin, your main sort of your main cast, written and directed by Michael Crichton. That's right, that Michael Crichton um, <clears throat> that you may have heard of and wrote sort of certain books such as Jurassic Park, or as we'd like to call it, Westworld in a book form, um, <laughs> and a lot of other things. So yeah, Michael Crichton, uh, film director before a novelist, really. 
Well, um, he, had, he had done Andromeda Strain, right? Yes. I think that was a novel first. Um, and I, this was the first movie that he directed. Uh, and I had forgotten that he directed this before mm. we slated to do it, because I always think of him as a novelist. But you're right. Also, you know, Jurassic Park is just Westworld with dinosaurs instead yeah. of robots. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, um, but the other thing I, I like about this film is um, the way it starts, the way it opens is, you know, you are introduced to it. And it sort of, to me, it felt a little bit Robocop because, again, it's sort mm -hmm. of, but it's, it's done sincere, but it felt very sort of Robocop. Is you have a guy there with his microphone, um, you know, randomly interviewing people getting off the plane or getting off the hovercraft, it is actually yeah. ju just coming from Delos, which is the company or the, the, the place that's got the three the three worlds in it. And it's very cheesy and very sort of, um, I don't know if you were to watch it at the time, would you take it more with a bit more sincerity? But watching it this week, I was like, this feels almost like a parody of, you know, that sort of, um, and you, sir, what do you think of what it is? <laughs> Big cheesy grin. Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I've just been to Roman world. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that opening, especially when the camera turns and there's a big group of them and they're all like, yay! So, uh, <laughs> I love yeah. That. Yeah, and I thought of Robocop too. I mean, and you and I both love those sort of like in-universe mm. uh, advertisements and stuff. Yes. And that's one thing we both like about Starship Troopers. And yeah, I thought the same thing. And they even have that like slogan. What is it? It's like the, the vacation of your life or something. Vacation of your dreams, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's not as it's not as um, crisp as the Robocop parodies. It's much more sort of like you think it's almost like a news footage, right? Because yeah. it's like an interview more than a commercial, but it is very tongue in cheek. And at the end, it's clear that it's promotional material. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, and apparently that was added after the rest of the movie was shot. <laughs> that was like right. a very late addition. Yeah. But it's such a brilliant way of, and then you cut to Westworld and you have sort of like the sound of technicians. And mm. I think all of that is just really well done. Yeah. It's just the, the first sort of 10 minutes of this film, before you even get to uh, Westworld, I, there's just something about I really enjoy. Uh, it's mm -hmm. very kitsch in some ways. Um, and they're going for sort of weird lot tones. Like they say, they move from that to a pair of sunglasses mirroring, like mirrored sunglasses reflecting the world that this sort of barren desert disappearing underneath them and stuff. And it's very stark in its, it's, uh, the way it's set up, fills the screen. And then you realize that's the pilot of the hovercraft. And then it sort of passes back into the hovercraft. And it's like some sort of like, um, it's like a 70s like lounge area. Yeah. Where people are all sat around, you know, sort of like, yes, I'll, uh, I'll have some of the sincere before I, I port into Westworld. And <laughs> you get to, that's where you get to meet your, your sort of your rose gallery of characters. But I, I just love it. I just love the feel of it, it that, you know, again, you get the information about what Delos is and the worlds and you get to meet your characters and Josh, uh, James, Josh and James Brolin in this is just sort of like, you know, he's so sort of, I, <laughs> I don't know whether he's trying to play up the call to his mate. You know, he's like, I've brought my friend along to go to Westworld and I'm, going to, I'm just going to play it really cool. Because I've seen this before. I get it. You know, I'm, I can imagine the character of James Brolin being like the Richard Benjamin character the first time he came. 
You know, mm-hmm. that sort of like, this is amazing. So I, I, get, I get a holster. I'm going to get the ones with a string on, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then James Brolin, he's like, I had the ones without the string. Like, he's trying to play it cool, but I know, you sort of just know that he was yeah. awed by this the first time round. And so, yeah, I just, I, I love the beats of the first sort of 10 minutes. Yeah, and when they come into Westworld or they come into Delos, um, you know, the uh, um, John, the mm. Brolin character, you can see him smiling mm. and he, he sort of like has a, he's like a kid. He like has played it so cool, but it's like, oh, we're really here. Um, the, the one thing about him is through the whole movie, I, I have face blindness, but for the whole movie, I think, why is Christian Bale in this movie? <laughs> Brolin looks like exactly like Christian Bale to me. Uh, yeah, no, he does. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah, he is. Um... Uh, what the one thing I like about his character actually, say, because he play, he just play it completely cool at the beginning, and then you say when they're getting kitted up and they're putting on the clothes and stuff, like he's clearly excited, and then when he's in, hit he, one point, there's a there's a shot of him and he's lying on a bed reading a cowboy like like a dime store novel, yeah. so he, he's like he's just a fan, like he's clearly like a western fan, so I think that's kind of cool as well that um. You know, like he's just yeah. I'm just. I mean, I'm living the dream here. Like I get to do all the things I've seen. You know, John Wayne do and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's clearly that sort of like fantasy um, Hollywood version of of um, the Wild West, as it is with the others. You know, like yeah. all the three worlds. You have um, was it Western world, Roman world, and medieval world, and each one is a Hollywoodization of that. I mean, like you know you clearly wouldn't want the real, true, authentic thing because it would be horrible. There's a reason we don't yeah. still live like that. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, what's funny is, uh, and, and Crichton was apparently very conscious of this, and he mm. was like, okay, you even the way he shot all three worlds were based on different movies mm. about those worlds. Um, but what's funny is there's a lot of dialogue in the movie about how you know, everything is historically accurate. And you're like, no, yeah. no, that's not really what they're going for. Uh, yeah. And, uh, that's a really good point, actually, especially sort of um, now you mention it. And I think back to the way that medieval world in particular is shot definitely goes back to, uh, and the fight towards the end, you know, it feels mm-hmm. very Errol Flynn and, mm-hmm. um, you know, those sort of um, medieval dramas. Exactly. And... <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's a really good point. And that's actually, a re- I like that because it does, it brings that sort of thing to life. Um, but there's some great bits. I mean, one of the things I like about this introduction is when you see the character's reaction. So you have that husband and wife. Um, and again, that's comes to the, this comes to the gender politics of it. And you know, you they tell you about each of the worlds as they, they watch the introductory video, and the, it's quite clear that the husband's going off to medieval world, and the wife is going off to Roman world, and she's sort of like they describe Roman world as a, a lustful something experience, and she's all like, Ooh! and the husband's a bit like, mm, I'm not, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this. But then you know for a fact, in fact, it's shown on screen the moment he gets to medieval world. He's off to do exactly the same thing. Like you know, there's uh, adultery Absolutely. going on here. So, um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd... He, he hits on the the maid, you know, as well <laughs> as the queen. Um, yeah, and there's that line in the in the opening of like, it's like the one thing she says about Roman world is like, I like the men. You know, <laughs> it's so it's like so inarticulate. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah, so I, I love there's a uniqueness to each of the worlds, not just the way they look, but the way they're shot. So they've definitely gone for, um, and so, so well done to Michael Crichton for that. Like I hadn't, it, it's done so well that I hadn't noticed it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. there. Um, but obviously the the majority of the world, the vast majority of the, world, the films rests in or sits in in Westworld, um, and it, it's all played up. But you get the. Um, the first thing, and I'll show my hands this thing just to prove, you know, I'm human, <laughs> is the the only indicator that you get that a, a, a character or a, a, an entity is human or not is the joints of the hand. Um, and this idea that they haven't quite got that right, they can't seem to get that right, which is unusual. Um, but it's a good little indicator that really only comes back once more later in the film. Yeah. Yeah, that's very strange, isn't it? That it, and and I guess the only time that's really important is with the um, the tech guy, mm. you know, as as he's fleeing the gunslinger near the end. But aside of that, it's it's almost never used. And there are times, like with the uh, maid um, Daphne, who's mm. who's tied up, and where you think you just took her hands off of the yeah. you know manacles, yeah. you should have seen right well there's there's two yeah there's because there's other scenes like that because the first time they see you see it is uh they go to the hotel uh you know james brolin richard benjamin they, and they have to buy a room and, and this other stuff and it's all very well done and the guy who runs the hotel you see his hands as he puts the money in his hand and he's got the joints he like and they, they actually explain it there and then so you think oh, okay like yeah this is going to come up again at some point down the line you know in some way and at one point they go to a, uh, like a brothel and there's a massive punch up. Mm-hmm. And at some point I'm like, they're going to, someone's going to stop them or someone's going to stop a punch and go, whoa, 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 you know, look at my hands. Don't punch me in the face. Nope. <laughs> Never happens. Like they could be throwing people, they could be throwing living people through windows. They could be doing all like, glassing people. Like, and at one point I'm like, this, this could go very right. Even mm-hmm. without the robots. Mm-hmm. Go, going haywire like i'm pretty sure the risk of people getting hurt is pretty high <laughs> in, in westworld in particular i mean first of all don't you want to go to westworld mm. though i mean it, it's so seductive it's so you know like the idea of being able to have a little bit of danger but having this like i mean robot snakes like yeah. that's awesome um but what you said i thought about too and and, and i think it's there in the tv series too that you know there are these kind of logical problems um mm. and you know how do you keep get you know the the gun thing is the guns are programmed so they can't fire on another human mm. i don't know how that works but you know okay you know that's a safeguard but you can't keep guests from punching other guests yeah. and i mean i just keep thinking like what's the first thing that people are going to do like they're being charged a thousand dollars a day right that's established um and it's just it, same thing in the TV show. There's a flat rate, right? Mm. So people are going to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm burning down the sheriff's. <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. going to burn down some buildings. I'm going to just, you know, you know, uh, just destroy stuff. Start stabbing people. Knives don't work the way those guns work. Yeah. Yeah. Guests are going to be burned and stabbed and mutilated and run over by uh, carriages, if not by horses. I mean, you know. It's it's very unbelievable that you could really keep the guests from getting injured. Yeah, 
there's so much that could go wrong. I <laughs> think you do because at one point, like I say, watching this film, I know that Yul Brynner, the gunslinger, is a robot. Mm-hmm. Is the horse he's riding? Mm. I don't know. It's never addressed because you've had a robot snake, you know. So is the horse real? If oh. it's not, that's a robot riding a real horse like that. You know, there's some no, really no, no, the, the robots are the horses are robots because you see oh, one they... being repaired. That's true. Remember, yes. they take that one mm. away. And the snake is a robot, and you do see, you know, a horse being repaired. They get, mm. You know, it's like sometimes it's funny. It looks like a paper mache horse, and a yeah. few scenes. But um, so that actually makes me wonder. I mean, first of all, it might be cheaper to use real mm. horses, but it makes me wonder, like, if all the robots have rebelled to the point of the snake biting him, why does uh, Peter? Ride a horse out and like doesn't that and horse gets away? Go like, it's like, yeah. ravine or something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it should happen, shouldn't it? Um, yeah, who's it? There's some there's some logic gaps in it, but uh, it's it, it, like I said, the world itself could. I just I just like you say, logistically, the world is would be too difficult to control. I mean, I'm sure, like I say, eventually there'd be ways of doing it. Um, but I do love the idea of sort of the, the this ability to go into a um, uh, a faux reality, you know, this sort of fake reality, and then just live out of fantasy. I think it's quite telling as well that in the film, um, they keep leaning towards characters wanting to become the sheriff as if they're sort of like noble good. You know, they get the, the guy with the glasses um, <laughs> who wants to become sheriff. And all I kept thinking is, if you're in the Wild West, no, 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 you want to be an outlaw. Yeah. Like if you've if you've been downtrodden in your life and you want to, no, 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 you are becoming an outlaw and you are going to run roughshod over this world. That's what you're going to want to do. Um, and well, you know, that's something that that like Jurassic Park can't get at because of the differences. That mm-hmm. one of the things that fascinates me about Westworld, and you know, I've always liked this movie, is that it becomes a way to sort of play out fantasy and also play out character and they, they get into this you know i don't i don't want to bring too much of the tv show into this uh you know i certainly saw this years before and i was super excited that they were going to do a, a reboot but it does play out character that you know and and i know that's true of me too right like you know i mean i would i would be like well you know these are robots i'm burning some stuff down I mean, people would go crazy even more yeah. so than is depicted in this movie. And I think that gets at, if you believe that that's true, that gets at this kind of like, you know, Freudian interpretation that really society is repressing all of these, you know, violent and, and sexual instincts. And really, when you give us carte blanche and you put us in this world where actions don't have consequences, the first thing we want to do is act out of this repression to engage in sex and violence and, and abuse. Well, and this film shows that in, in multiple ways. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the two obvious ones is, like you say, when Peter and John go to the brothel, you know, they go and they pick out or they're, they're, you know, they're given these two uh, robotic uh, whores. You know, and, and then all of a sudden, like, they're like, oh, right, oh yeah. And also a fight kicks out and they're like, all right, well, well, we'll have a bit of a rumble first as well. So, <laughs> like you say, just that wanton sex and violence is there for them at the sort of, you know, um, 
And because there's a great bit of uh, the, you know, there's a what is it the um, the bank's being robbed, mm-hmm. and they they end up missing it because uh, they end up sleeping with the with these robots and sort of, uh, and it's and, you know be like the idea is well we can catch that robbery tomorrow you know we'll get to that yeah. sooner or later, but more so I think in medieval world when you follow the guy around and you say say he's sort of having an affair with the queen and uh, she says no no I, I can't right now. Um, I'm, uh, you know, the the king is about to do whatever. So she sort of like spirits away. And he walks to the door and meets Daphne. And he's like, well, if I can't do her, I shall do this one instead. And mm-hmm. then when she, and she refuses him, because obviously that's the problem that's sort of being introduced. But they get, when it goes back to the center, and we'll get back to this sort of the control center. And even they're confused. They're like, well, that's interesting. She's a sex, she's a sex model. Like she's not, to, she's not supposed to refuse anybody. Um, and so, yeah, you you literally could wake up in the morning, but oh, what should I do today? Wanton violence and raping and pillaging, like you know, I could do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like you know, it's interesting. Off off air, we were talking about something about the social contract, and you know, because you live there, so you sort of live in a society and you live in a community, so you have a, an element of a social contract. And how much of that would apply when you rocked up to this world? Like you know, do you sign a waiver that says you can do whatever you want, but whatever you damage? Mm. you've you know we'll cover you've got to pay for and i'm like well if you're going to be shooting robots then i don't think that really works but no no and and i don't think that there is that that um sort of coverage i mean mm. because you want to destroy things i mean that's the whole point you know um so yeah i mean there are some i mean i love this movie and, and i i love how short it is i mm. love that like you almost get like a series of vignettes I love the sort of like classical, just good storytelling, right? Mm. Despite we'll get into even more problems, you know, logical issues later on. But, you know, you were talking about uh, Peter and John on the hovercraft going into Delos that, you know, one is the first timer, one is the old timer. And that lets you get in the exposition, but it also lets you get a character and sort of Mm. like how you perceive this place. Um, and then they get there, and, and I love that you sort of get, like, a series of vignettes. It's not really a plot, per se. It's just, like, we're going to have a series of vignettes of sort of, like, stuff you can do with this concept. And then you hit this, like, the first night where you see this eerie sort of surreal thing of these robots, all the dead robots. Yeah, we collected them. You know? With electric lights and vehicles and stuff. And then you cut to the control center. And then really, like, the plot begins at that point. Mm. And then at, at the back end, you have, like, 30 minutes of, you know, robots going wild and just destroying stuff. And 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 it ends up focusing on the, the chase with Yul Brenner. Um, but, you know, that is so economical. It is so... You know, like, I mean, if this were done today, not as a TV series, it'd be like a three hour long movie. You know, I mean, think of how interminable like a modern disaster movie like 2012 is. Right. Mm -hmm. We're just like, how many plots do you need? Mm -hmm. How many little like just nonsense do you need? I just love how well structured this is, despite the like, you know, the hands thing is a problem. Um you know, when he frees the Daphne, he gives her water to drink and she sort of fizzles out. That's not important. <laughs> you know, yeah. you think, oh, finally he's found the way to defeat Yul Brenner. Uh-uh. 
that's just a dumb random thing. There, there are yeah. problems here, but well, the moment that happened, and I know, I know, this thing's in a desert, all right, and because mm. it's set in a sort of okay, so rain probably not an issue. However, if if it's going to electrify, they show Roman world's got a big pool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was like, surely that's a bit of a flaw. Then if they if they get wet, you know, and not even a lot wet, just a bit wet, they're right. going to fuse out. I'm like. That's going to be a problem in one of these worlds. Absolutely. And I mean, and that's one of the many things that when you, I, I mean, the concept is such a simple concept and because you get in and get out mm. and there's, there are many charming ideas and, and visuals along the way, you know, it's inoffensive at three hours. This is just a, you know, cluster F of a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the water thing is a problem. How do they all not know anything about androids? Like, there's always this issue of like, what is the society around them like? If androids have progressed to the point where you can make an amusement park and reliably not have them murder people, uh, clearly androids are everywhere, or at mm. least not rare. Clearly, they have to be told like what an android is, basically. Um, Another thing, like you mentioned the like Roman world, or you mentioned um, medieval world and how medieval world has like a plot that continues over multiple days. Your Brenner is just like he's shot every day and they're just like, yeah, throw him back out there. I know the same <laughs> guests are there. You know, you just see the guy you shot yesterday and he resurrects. How is that really what you wanted? I mean, um, and another thing that bothers me is I love all of the surreal stuff with the, the night and the lights mm. and, you know, the androids on conveyor belts and stuff. I love all those visuals. But I always, every time I get to that, I think, I have terrible insomnia. If I'm in Westworld, there's, I'm, there's like, I got like two hours of sleep last night. There's no way I'm going to get any sleep <laughs> being in Westworld. Well, I'm gonna go out and murder people at night or something. Well, that's it. The, the thing I kept thinking is, I've never been on a holiday to what, any resort or anything that shuts down enough at night for you know. You'll probably see people doing some cleaning, but to have a, a van come in with with electric lighting to remove <laughs> bodies, I'm like, where is everybody? What? Why is this not busier? Yeah, it feels it feels a little incongruous. It sort of feels a bit odd, but I love the idea that there is this thing. I mean, what it would be, I suppose, again, if you were going to do it, you'd have the big entertainment, wouldn't you? If this was going to be like a real resort, you'd have the people, you'd make sure there was enough um, indoor late night entertainment. You know, you go, oh, you've got your burlesque or your can-can and your poker tables and all sort of stuff. So get everybody in and then you'd probably have some way of getting the bodies off the streets. But like, yeah, it's just dead. It's just quiet. Like everybody's left and, and they come in, but it's, it's a cool idea. It's just uh, an, an easy. Yeah. It's a simple way to show that this thing's 24 seven, I suppose, isn't it? That's the sort of the idea. And I really love the visuals, especially because at that point you're like 40 minutes in or something. Mm. I mean, you've probably been in these worlds for about 30, something like that. And then at that point, these lights and, you know, that that machine that mm. coming in seems so industrial and just that it's geometry is and is so uh, incongruous with everything yeah. you've seen. So I, I love the visuals. Um, but, yeah, they don't even need to do that. Right. Because they could just have guys with carts 
and just yeah. be like, you know, I I'm here to collect the bodies, you know, and like uh, yeah. pour them in a mass grave, you know, like whatever. You Take know? them up to Boot Hill, you know, yeah. or uh, in the medieval world, like bring out your dead. I'm not quite yeah. dead yet. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, there's, there's an interesting way of doing it, I think. But um, I mean, the thing I love uh, is, and again, the other film that this made me think of is, um, and I know they do it with the, with the TV series, but Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know where they've got they're in the cabin, then they keep going back, and they obviously release some sort of like version of some horror, you know, on the uh, on the cabin, and it turns out it's a sacrifice. It's, and I think that owes something to this. Because I like the sort of when it goes back to the central hub, to sort of the lab or whatever you want to call it, the repair center. Uh, Crichton and you know, and even the cast—they're very good at making it feel completely different. Like, oh, this is just a day in the job. You have got the guy with the beard and all the mustaches going around, and he's like, "Okay, well, that's this servo here, and you want to do that." And he's like, "Oh, you want to use the the XX60, you know? And if you can't fit it in, just move this up in the cavity more." And they're just like. Obviously authentic because it's all you know it's all techno babble, but yeah. you get the feel that like this guy's just done this on a daily basis. He's like, yeah, repairing this, repairing that. Oh, what's wrong with this one? And uh, you see the gunslinger, and they're like, oh yeah, we're the the nice nod where they're like, we're up in his um um his basically his hearing and his sight is being upgraded. You know, we're just taking the opportunity to do that. You're like, all right, fair enough, I'll buy that. Um, but I do like that it sort of sits separate, but is obviously connected. Um, I think it's done quite well actually. Yeah, and I think I think all three worlds plus the Delos control center, they all have a very different look. Like you, mm. you never are confused where you're at. And and I think that what struck me about exactly those same lines was how perfunctory it is. That you said like they do this every day. So much of what you've seen up until that point is selling the magic of Westworld. Yeah. Right. It's selling, you know, this is this magical place. And then you peel behind the curtains and it would be really easy just to be like, you know, we're the Disney Imagineers and we love our jobs and we're, you know, golly gee, I hope these people like it. And instead it's just like, yeah, you know, another day, another robot, (laughs) just very cool. I I prefer that because it does make me think of Disney World and not, you know, we'll get to the TV show uh, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, that having the sort of like the... um, eccentric genius at the center of it all sort of you know that walt disney-esque idea but i do like the idea of when you see disney world you know or disneyland or whatever that you do see the magic castle and you know you've got all the rides and the people in costumes but you do know there's a security office or several probably with people just looking at monitors and going you know yeah it's all fine here jeff you know right we'll move this or people getting in out in and out of styrofoam costumes and going like it's hot out there being Buzz Lightyear today has been awful. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I love that it's cynical, but uh, I, I think that uh, everything I've read is like the people who work, especially wearing those costumes, are just diehard Disney people, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, they are just like, you do not stay at that job for longer than six yeah. months if you are not like, you have Mickey Mouse paraphernalia in your house, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I like... I like that sort of like culty thing. And, and I like, I, I mean, we're fascinated by amusement parks and, and by especially Disney, this sort of presentation of a sanitized, safe version of reality where, you know, 
you're kind of lulled into thinking like, well, there are corridors underneath all of this. There's security everywhere, right? Yeah. Nothing is going to happen. You're safe. Um, you know, as a kid, uh, um, my brother and I, you know, fell into the water in uh, at Disneyland and, you know, uh, were like soaking wet and people showed up and they whisked us away and we were backstage and like, you know, they're in enormous caverns. And mm. But this idea of like stuff being hidden around you and what you're seeing is like all this kind of like three-dimensional facade that's very carefully managed is at the same time alluring and also horrifying in a way. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, this, I love the idea that you say about you know giving in to the fantasy that cult, like you know, like that's what going into one of these things is. I mean, it's a bit like. And I've done them before. You know, when you go into those uh, Halloween horror nights, you know, you'll mm -hmm. go like, do a, a zombie run or, a, you know, like some sort of themed ghost walk or something like that. Like, I know, well, it depends who's doing them, to be fair. I'll, I'll tell you that story one day. But you know for a fact that, like, none of those people dressed as zombies are going to hurt you. They're not going to do anything. But, like, I'm still, my heart's still racing. I'm still reacting in the way of you know like i've got the fight or flight and all that sort of thing and that's just a, a four minute walkthrough and i'm giving into it like if you walked into one of this and it looked authentic i mean imagine medieval world if you rocked up to a massive castle and it had like a portcullis and it had like you walked in and there was all the people in that like, armor and i'd be like yeah all right i'm i'm doing this you know it's like some big role play what do they call them um RPG kind of sort of um, yeah, LARPing. LARPing. Yeah it's, yeah, it's that kind of thing, like giving into the fantasy and going with the story. And I can imagine it being incredibly easy once you're in there. Yeah, and I, I like uh, at the beginning, uh, I mean, the scene with Yul Brenner being introduced to the bar is a great example of this. And, and I think it's done really well, and especially sort of like the looks back and forth between Peter and John as they're like, you know, you're going to do something about this? Like, and you. Yeah, I think. Um, Brenner, Brenner, as you sort of said, he's quite comfortable in just coming in and being Brenner. <laughs> but, but like, I, he may have just done it for the money. I don't know. But like, I don't know. There's something about the way he carries himself throughout this other film. that It's just like, it's very comfortable. And he's a bit like, yeah. I'm just doing this and I'm just being me and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's easy and I'm enjoying it. And what, what is it he says? Cause he bumps into um, mm. Peter and then, um, you know, okay, get Spilled your drink. Yeah. yeah get the You're men sloppy a bib. with your drink. Yeah. Get the yeah. man a bib. He needs his mama. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I just love his line delivery at that point. Cause it is, it's so sort of like sake and, and sort of, uh, you know, um, but I also love the fact that it's so uh, orchestrated to instigate violence. Mm -hmm. You know, like the gunslinger is solely there to be shot. That's his purpose. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the bank robbery. Like, apparently, they they Crichton edited a lot of this at, at, on the back end. Um, and, and made it a lot shorter, too. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently, they had shot stuff of that bank robbery. Um, and I think that, you know, like that bank robbery is another sort of like orchestrated moment where 
you know, like, oh, we get to be the heroes and stop a bank mm. robbery, right? I get to, you know, kill the, the gunslinger, right, who's, who's being a dick to me at the bar. Um, I mean, in a way, it's perfect for those characters because it, it's that moment where, you know, it's like, like that Back to the Future moment where it's like, you yell up, you know, where yeah. you, you gotta do something. And it lets, um, you know, John sort of like, or Peter get past that sort of, you know, loses Hyman, right? You know, yes. he gets past the sort of like, okay, I really can't, I am safe killing these guys. Mm. I am safe acting out. Uh, but you do see his fear. And it's a very natural fear. It's like, you know, this guy looks like, looks like a tough guy, right? Yeah. Well, I love the fact when there's an interesting there's an interesting part to this is that because he asks several times, he's like, "Are you sure he's a robot?" Because there's a whole moment they give you the information again where they're like, "You can't kill a human." Like the gun has a sensor, as you say. So, uh, you know, because they're in the hotel room, he says, "Try to shoot me," and he does, and the gun just clicks. It doesn't work, so it refuses to fire. So, like, you can only shoot the androids. So, you, you know, you're comfortable with that, but that that, that comes after uh, the shooting. So, there's a moment where he's done it, and he's like, "Did I? Did I shoot a guest? Did I shoot an android? Did I shoot an android?" Like, you you know, you're not entirely sure at first. Um, but you, there's also this thing. Uh, uh, the John character has a, a a comment when he asks about the guns, and he says, "You didn't. Ki- you haven't killed anything." And um, you're right, because the robot goes away, it gets repaired, and it literally gets wheeled out the next day. Um, but there's still the thing, like, it still looks human. You have still drawn a weapon on, uh, you know, this humanoid character. Like, to then remove all morality from that, to say, oh, you haven't killed anything, you shot a robot. And like, yeah, but it still feels icky to me there's i don't know it feels uncomfortable i'm not sure how i would feel i think i would be like peter <laughs> i'm like i'm drawing a gun on something i'm like you know yeah i want to i want to be the badass that walks in sort of like yosemite sam style firing off the guns and doing everything. but there'd be a part of my head going like i don't know how i would feel going away from this fake or not knowing that i was willing to draw on something that looked human apart from some wrinkles in its hands okay so i mean we, we at this point we we've both talked about it we've got to just stop the review and talk about scott and julian go to westworld okay yes. <laughs> like you know you you would you you want to come out i mean i'd be like the the uh john character if anything i'd be like you would be worried about me you would be like, <laughs> Julian is a sociopath. I don't know if I can, you know, spend time with him. Uh, you know, I've had friends who, you know, have watched, going back back to the, the good old days of GTA Vice City, who mm-hmm. were like, why don't you do any missions? All you do is murder people. I'm very worried about your mental health. Um, you know, I, I would just be like, yep. Yeah, oh, so the gun doesn't work on people? All right, all good. You know, just go in, just bam, 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 you know, holding people's head down to the bar and blowing their brains mm. out, and you just being like ah, horrified. So you would, you would kind of, you want to do it, but you would, you think there's a moral remainder for you. It, yeah, I don't know. Maybe after a while, 
I'd get past it. And I think it's like the thing that Peter has, that thing of like, can I really do this? You know, is it right? Because he is still, he is choosing to fire on the person over the spilling of a drink. And it's that thing of like, and again, we were sort of talking off air about sort of like, I'm I'm relatively relaxed about stuff. And like, if he, if he nudged me and then was like, you know, he needs a bib. And I'd be like, yeah, mate, you're probably right. I'll get another one in. And I'd leave it at that. <laughs> that would just be my like, oh, well, move on. But, that, you know, it's the fact that John's going, no, 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 no. Shoot him in the face. <laughs> Shoot him. And I can see that, like, I, you know, I, I think I would be like the Peter. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm here to do that, aren't I, actually? That's what this is about. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, I weirdly think, like, because um, I did think about this. Which world would I be more at home in? Like, Would I be more at home in Westworld or Medieval World? Um, and I did think I'd end up in Westworld because I looked at this thing and again, you watch the film and the sort of, the, you know, with medieval world and Roman world, you, you, you're back to swords and knives. And I was like, shooting someone with a gun that I know can't kill a human is one thing. Wielding around a broadsword and, you know, going all Conan on someone was a different matter entirely. Uh, even as a robot, I mean, the damage some of the swords must do to the droids. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it just sort of it felt odd to me. Um, I wonder if this does come down to the, you know, not to say that you're a gun nut, but, like, to the gun culture. <laughs> you're like, you are an American, so you yeah. are always one situation away from being a sociopath yeah. anyway, <laughs> in fairness. <laughs> This is, where, this is where you pull out an AR-15 from under the desk, and you're like, "Yep, um, I've only ever held, I have held and fired a gun uh, it, when I was in Texas, um, you know, years and years ago, uh, and that's it. And like, I have no experience of seeing guns other than probably on the police in this country. And so, that thought of just being handed a weapon and being yeah. like, "Go oh, nuts!" <laughs> well, that might be some of the reluctance. I mean. You know, in fairness, the I think the majority of Americans have never fired a gun in their lives. Um, you know, I have I, I I am not a gun owner myself and I, I don't like gun culture and I've been to gun shows with people and I don't like the culture. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, I've fired machine guns, you know, uh, I have fired I, you know, like the, the heavy mounted guns on the back of G.I. Joe vehicles. You know, <laughs> you know, I fired that stuff. It's fun. It's fun. You know, um, I, you know, the, the problem is in real life that chews through bodies. I mean, we mm. live in a, I mean, I live in a country in which, you know, every week uh, there's another mass shooting. Uh, and there are school kids with, you know, exit wounds, you know, that are five inches wide some of these rounds um that's crazy that's horrifying i don't want to live in that culture but put me in westworld <laughs> you know? yeah absolutely um, I, I think maybe that the comparison to um a computer game is probably apt mm -hmm. you know especially when you say like gta or you know one of those um open world kind of games is probably apt because i've played those and and you know uh, i'm not a big gamer but like i've played those games and you do if you can go off and you know 
even you're driving the car and you go, oh, you've got to get from this point to that point. Yeah, I'm still going to do it and probably run some people over and smash up property and all this other stuff that you can get away with. And I can't remember, probably the last one I played was if you got five stars or you got five points, like a helicopter came after you and all this other stuff. And there's a joy to be had in that, like in the wanton destruction. And uh, so I probably would get over it relatively quickly. But I think, like, I, th- I think, it, like you say, it would be that that you know, losing you, losing your sort of like your virginity to the to the environment, accepting the fantasy. That's the thing. It's being accepted fantasy. I'd accept the fantasy and up to a point, and then I think you've just got to keep indulging it, haven't you? Really, that's the that's the point. Um, do you deliberately run people over? Do you aim for them? Um, Probably at times, yeah. Not not in real cars. I'm not. I'm not seeing no. driving country roads. No, so. I'm not asking you in real life. You know, like, hey, have you ever run somebody over and just uh, buried their body in the field yeah. by your car? We've all been there. Um, yeah. um, uh, well, I mean, look, I I I love carnage so much that I have lost missions repeatedly in GTA games because I see a motorcyclist. And I just want to run him into the guardware and see his body go flying. Uh, I love I love driving around beaches and just running people down. Um, look, I mean, it's fantasy. I would mm-hmm. never do that in real life. And in real life, it's a lot messier. I mean, this is one mm-hmm. reason why I object to violence in movies and in, uh, you know, comics and video games not being you know, bloodier. You don't see veins and blood and bone, you mm. know, and people screaming and people walking around dazed and confused, you know, with part of their head missing, you know, um, which unfortunately is something I've seen in real life. But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah it's not fun. Mm. But, you know, Westworld presents this kind of sanitized thing. But I think what's interesting is that this idea of fantasy of like getting into it and you're saying like once you get into it, then your worst instincts will come out. Right? Yeah, like, I, I, I think there's to me. And again, I think we've talked about this being my, my British conservatism, my British repression, where I'd be like, no, 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 I'm fine. Thank you. I, um, I you know, thank you for the gun and everything. But uh, I, I'll wait until the right moment to fire it. Once I have fired it once. You know, I I would I would probably change and become sort of like you know, um, like you say, Biff Tannen, uh, you know, Mad Good t- Mad Dog Tannen sort of style. Um, and, uh, yeah, there would be a change. Um, but it is I can I can see why people give into I can see why things like LARPing, you know, and these um, zombie runs and all these other things like I can see why they work because. If you give in to the fantasy and you let that fantasy work for you, then it becomes that rea- that becomes the reality. And I think if you can then you adjust to the norms of that reality and you go, and I think you see that Peter does that. Mm-hmm. You know the, the 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 sleeping with the robot and then the the killing the first time he shoots like your Brenner is a, is basically adjusting to that reality where you're like going, no, these things are fine here. Like go nuts. Like this is where you do that. That's the real world over there. Yeah, you don't do that there, but in the conf- mm-hmm. confines of Westworld, you're fine. And I, I, I almost get the feeling, again, like we said before, that John probably went through something similar the mm-hmm. first time he came, 
But now he's coming back and he's all he's all cool and he's brought his friend Pete and he's like, yeah, look, look, no, this is what you can do. This is what you can get away with and that sort of thing and and get used to it because um, it's it's that sort of thing of bringing somebody in from the outside, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's I like that. I like the fact that he doesn't just walk in and is straight away sort of like gunning people down. It's sort of like he he's the one, the newcomer. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, my care, my personal character would not make a very good story, you know. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Time to massacre. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, two things come up about that. One is that, like, my, I thought about like when they go back to the outside world, are they better people or worse? Like, are you better because you have had this outlet for? these things and then you're like you know look i'm a family man you know i mean as, as much of a sort of like sham as the that guy uh, who goes to medieval world mm-hmm. his marriage is he's you know is he going to be more likely or less likely to to cheat on the outside uh i don't know um i mean and this goes back to the classic sort of like uh, does indulgence lead to more indulgence, or is that rather an outlet for our violent tendencies that then we're less so it, violent? Basically, is it a catharsis? Is mm-hmm. this sort of like, you know, them release? I don't know. And uh, they sort of try and sell it that way a little bit, don't they? That this is, I mean, you know, that, are they one step away from the purge? Is that what we're saying? You know, <laughs> Westworld didn't work, so we're going to have one day a year where you can kill everyone. Um, uh, well, you know, there's, there's going to be like Westworld psychosis in the DRM, which is like, you know, in a world where like you believe that you're still in Westworld. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do they need to be, I mean, do, is there a certain amount as a guest like you can only stay for so long? You know, you're only allowed to stay for five days because beyond that, you start to get a little bit too comfortable in that world. But I can imagine there are people that are addicted to this thing. You know, like we said about Disney World, like people, you know, people that go to Disney World like every year are really committed to that. You know, I can imagine people saving up every, you know, every year I'm going to Medieval World. I, I am so, you know, into that world that like, you know, that's it. I've given up all my, um, you know, I don't save for anything else. I just mm-hmm. go to go to Westworld for five days a year. Um, yeah. Why vacation anywhere else? I mean, mm. You know, a thousand dollars back then was real money. Yeah. But you know, uh, nowadays a thousand dollars a day on a vacation is, you know, not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing about that I was going to say was about um, when it goes bad, right? Mm-hmm. And when uh, Peter sees John get shot by the gunslinger, and John is just like, "I'm, I'm shot," you know, and then he is shot again, and he falls over. The, there's clearly a moment of just abject horror uh, on, on Peter's face. And Peter, even when he's running, I mean, look, this is 70s. It's, it's relatively low budget. These are the these. How can I put this? The the stunts in this do not look the most slick, well coordinated. Yeah. Right. Um, but even so, Peter, when he's running, he looks like just a guy running. His confidence has left him. And there is this moment, getting back to, to what you were saying, where, like, you know it's a fantasy. Do you get addicted? Do you go into this? Maybe, but when that fantasy is broken, mm. it's crystal clear. It's like, yeah, I know this is a fantasy. Even if I've lost myself in it, 
I know it's still a video game. You know? Yeah. The yeah. PlayStation turned off. Because, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the argument, isn't it? When everyone says these things about, like, you know, violence in films and comics and, and get computer games, is that thing of, like, oh, the fantasy sort of, like, uh, populate, you know, seeps into the real world. And you go, no, no, I'm, quick, I'm quite clear of the distinction between real and, and you know, and f- uh, the real reality and, and computer reality. And I do like that moment because it's, and also it's such a sort of, um, they're coming back from the barroom brawl and drink up. So they've got a hangover. They're probably feeling bruised from the fight before. And they see the old Brynn and they're just like, and they literally say like, oh, not you again. Like, yeah. can we just leave this? Like, well, I'm done with this. But again, to me, that sort of thing would break the reality. Cause I'm like, I've shot you twice now. Um, and, even the fact that we'll, we'll get on to the fact that like Brenner comes back whilst his program is programming is fine, um, you know, to, to mm-hmm. seek revenge is is interesting. Um, but yeah, that moment when Johnny's shot and he, he sort of James Brolin plays it really well because he sort of laughs. Even he's a bit like, I'm, I'm shot. This is like, this is supposed to, like he's genuinely surprised, not sure what to do with himself. And then when the second bullet hits, like you say, Peter's just like, oh. Yeah, shit just got real. Like <laughs> this is yeah, it is um it's not fun anymore. No. I mean in that moment you clearly see just sort of like all the fun is gone. That that veil of safety has been mm. pierced in a catastrophic way. And I think that's well done. I think that that mm. is accurate, right? Uh yeah. Um the one thing I'd say is though, like I say is about this fact of this fantasy is they have the gunfight in the bar. Uh, and then the following day, um, the gunslinger comes back and hunts them down to their hotel room and, and holds John up. And, and you know, obviously Pete comes in with, with his towel on and all this other stuff. It, you know, he does the heroic thing and it's typical Western of you're going to get shot out the window. But to me, I'm like, I get that they're building up the character. But it still it would break that reality of uh, is this the only gunslinger they've got in town? Like he has to go in every night to be repaired to come out and be shot again the next day. Right. Well, this I mean this gets to you know more of these kind of like logical problems. Like you know it is like as you say. I mean I like it as a viewer. It is haunting to think of like you killed me. You know like I want my revenge. And even though the robots aren't really characters in this movie. Mm. I mean, they are in the TV show, but you still feel sorry for him. Uh, you know, I feel bad for this guy, you know, as they take his face off, which again, brilliant visual. I, mm. I love the visual, the Westworld face removal. Um, but as you see him repaired and you see him laid out, you feel sorry for this guy who just exists to be killed. Uh, over and over again. So I love the idea, but it is a logical problem um, because they clearly show, like with Daphne, they were watching her say no and slap a guy rather yeah. than, you know, have sex. And they're like, uh uh-uh. uh, <laughs> she's got to submit, you know, let's pull her in. That's yeah. a big problem. Yet they don't see Yul Brenner clearly angry about having been murdered the previous day mm. so that must be permissible i mean is that yeah supposed I, to happen I, no and that was the thing so i was trying to find um when watching it this time i was looking for 
the indicators of um, programming problems. Because I also have the problem. I also have the question of like how much artificial intelligence do these androids have? Like how much is programming and how much is is a, a level of sentience that they've got? Um, but I was looking for the points in the film of like you know where they start to drip feed that the machines are going wrong. Like you know you have. Um, Daphne is a clear one. Like that's the real indicator. But like I say, um, there's no, there's very little else. They have this the snake later on when he's escaped from prison, um, mm-hmm. which is another one that oh a snake's bit a uh, bit a guest. But I'm still I'm still confused as to is the gunslinger coming back the next day to their hotel room? Is that a mistake? Is it yeah. a problem? No. Is it like is it the programming gone haywire at that point? Or is that, I say, is that intentional? It could go either way, but the fact that, like, it, it seems to remember the fact that it's got a grudge against these two people seems to me to say, no, 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 this is a, this is a, a problem. Yeah, and I, I think that this, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the concept in the literary theory of sort of like strong misreading, you know, that you're pointing out a an ambiguity and a problem with the original um and 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 i would also add if if he is if what you want is not for the dead to rise again every day you shouldn't be putting him out there while you know those guests are still here which then gets that like how long can you stay if you stay long enough do you start seeing people i mean there are lots of logical issues there Mm. But clearly there is this issue of should they remember and should they return like this? And I think that the TV series then looks at that and says, Mm. oh, remembering like your guest experience should be everybody has their role. You know, you shoot a guy, he's dead. He doesn't come back and remember like, didn't you shoot me? (laughs) You know, that doesn't work. That breaks the illusion. Um, so then them remembering is in fact part of that malfunction. Mm. Um, and, and that also allows them to remember their abuse. Um, here it's not clear that their abuse is really related to the malfunction and the rebellion at all. Um, you just get, I do like this kind of like cascading, uh, misfunc- you know, malfunctions mm. that the, the, the dialogue about this. And in a movie that is filled with, like, you know, that technology, like most movies in the 70s, has not aged, aged yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars has not aged well either mm. uh, in terms of its technology. But it's not just the old computers. You have reel-to-reel tapes, right? <laughs> uh, the part that I like the best is smoking in the control room. Like, the ashtrays yeah. are <laughs> the most incongruous to me. Uh but also, like, the digital eyesight. This was the first movie to do yes. that pixelation. Mm. Um, but it, it's like, wow, that resolution is, like, 64 by 64. <laughs> like, that's an Apple IIe, you know, what his eyes are like. There's a bit, um, there is, I was going to say, there's a great bit when he's aiming the rifle uh, at, at Peter, and Peter's on the sort of the, going over a sort of the ridge of a, of a mountain. And he's aiming, and you see the digitalized, the pixelated version, and I'm like, I can't see him through this. How the hell are you aiming? Like, it, yeah, it's dreadful. It's it's a great gimmick, 
and I love the fact they've done it. But I'm like, this doesn't seem like an upgrade. And the fact they give him like heat sensor later on, you know, heat vision. Um, clearly, that was then replicated for the Terminator. This whole yeah. thing of the digital vision is again replicated for the Terminator and done better. Like you know, they, they've yeah. sort of fixed it. But I love this idea they do this this scene from the POV of of the of the gunslinger. I think it's fantastic. I'm sorry, I was interrupted. What you say? Mm. No, and it's really well done for mm. the time, right? For '73, mm. but um, yeah, and but all of that stuff doesn't age well. The best line in this, from a technological standpoint, is the line about them malfunctioning, where the scientist says, uh, "Some of these were built by computers. Mm. We don't really know how they work." Yeah, that you know. So the idea is like, I mean, and that is just. Unfortunately, he says some. Clearly, this is like a throwaway line that's intended to justify, hey, we're not going to give you a whole lot about what we think is happening with this malfunction. But I love the idea, and I think it's quite accurate, that some sort of AI is you know, designing this, designing these robots. They're going to do a better job than humans are. And you know, as a result, though, we don't really know a lot of how they function. You know, this is this is beyond us. I mean, we currently have AIs that, you know, that do this, that, that you know, say, pick a stock, and you say, there's no indication that that stock is going to go go up. Why are you picking that? You cannot find a reason. Mm. Uh, and you can poke through the code, and you're just like, I mean, it would take you a year to just figure out why it made that decision, but damned if it wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, how did it know that? It's not that it's magical. It's just that it's be you know the ability of us to analyze it organically is very limited. And I think that is, from a technological standpoint, like such a standout good line in a movie that does not age well from a technological standpoint. No, I, I agree. What I would say uh, ages well, um, though, is because I agree with the technological stuff. Uh, is very sort of uh, of its era. Um, it still looks good. I I love a reel to reel. When I see him on film, like I I, I must admit, this it's just a good visual. Like, I love them, and I kind of miss, you know, like you know, uh, seeing those banks of computers with the lights on and the reel to like. I love all that. And so now when they're like, we've got the supercomputer and it's the size of a phone, and you're like, oh. Well, that's really disappointing. Like, I don't care. I want to see. <laughs> I want to see these huge banks of computers. Um, but yeah, so that's that's. I love seeing that stuff. Um, but the one thing I don't think has, has aged at all, and I think it's still relevant, is the approach that they take in the conversation of how are they going to deal with the guests. So there's a bunch of sort of scientists and park owners there, and they're very much like, right, we've identified that there's this problem. Like, if I think they've had at that point the snake has bitten um, uh, John, and um, you know you've had that first indicator uh, of the problems. So we've had the indicators of the problem, and they're a bit like, okay, we've had this, and someone says we should shut down the park for a month. Well, let's put this down. We'll go into lockdown for a month. All right, let's call it that. <laughs> And the others go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Because they say, like, like, let's evacuate, send everyone home, and we'll shut down for a month, and we'll look at everything. That's what That was what the first guy sort of says. And then another guy says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just, don't, let's just not accept any more 
guests. We'll say we're at capacity and we'll refuse any more guests. But those that are here, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just deal with it. And even in my head, I'm thinking, that's exactly what would happen. Yes. What is, what is the minimal viable way <laughs> of handling this situation? Right, what will damage us? If we send everybody home because of a snake bite, right, that's damaging mm. Delos. That's it. Like we may not mm-hmm. be done, but there's a lot of work to get that back up to um, this level again. Um, and then when they go, right, well, we're accepting anymore. All right, we're all, everyone goes, oh, yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. And you totally see that there's a business mind behind that. And that's it for me watching it, especially now <laughs> in this day and age. It's, it's almost like that. Everyone's been making the comparison with the mayor from Jaws. Um, during during COVID, you know that sort of mm. like the beaches will stay open and the sharks there, and I think that's an apt uh, comparison. But I also now think Westworld is just as apt, <laughs> where they're just like, well, we won't let anybody else, especially for England, where we're like, well, we won't let anybody else in, they'll be fine. But this group of people, yeah, we'll we'll just try and handle it, you know, uh, we'll give them a minimal tiered system, something like that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, over here, we, we have states that don't even require masks to this day. Um, yeah. You know, and they're just like, uh, you know, ah, just it'll be OK. Uh, you know, do the minimum so we can say we're doing something. But, you but, know, I mean, Crichton. Sorry, just say the say the minimum because I think you say they do the minimum. They definitely do the minimum because in both you don't see much of Roman world, which I think is a real flaw in this film that we'll get onto. But in both Westworld and, and medieval world, not only have they identified that there's a bugging in the system, there's a clear problem with the programming. You've seen a snake attack someone, and then um, a sex droid, is, an android, has is, is refused. You know to, the seductions of a guest. They then send two robots that are clearly designed for for combat back into the arena. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. even on, even I'm thinking that's a bad idea. <laughs> well, and the thing that they don't really mention, I, I mean, you mentioned the sort of like the sexual politics of this. The thing that they don't mention about uh, Daphne is that she slapped him. Yeah. That should probably be a bigger issue for you as running this park than that she said no, right? Yeah. Like his penis will survive, okay? Yeah, yeah. You know that about men, right? But <laughs> um, injuring a guest and deliberately doing so, that should probably be a bigger deal. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, Crichton, just about this point, uh, sort of like doing the minimum. Crichton intended this as a metaphor for corporate greed. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, I mean, I live in a country and, you know, you do too, to, to maybe a lesser degree, where we assume, where there are a lot of people who think corporations have the best answers to things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why should government do it? Let's, you know, let's farm it out. Corporations do it better and a lot of people have a bullshit idea of how terrible government is over here. Um, and that sometimes can be true, right? But the flip side is, this is the corporate mentality, right? Yeah. You know, like when BP had that oil spill, yeah, there was no plan whatsoever to deal with it. I mean, this stuff happens all the time. Mm. There are certainly a lot of good corporate players who, who do have contingency plans and are concerned about their reputation. But there are a lot of people who would function exactly like this, if not worse. Yes. Uh, 
And yeah, so I, I think you're absolutely right to isolate on that. It, it does strike me as dead on. You yeah, know? yeah. And I say, of all the things that haven't changed, like this is 73, you know, we are almost 50 years on from this film. Still the same. You know, still, it's still very much the same. And so that scene really did hit home um, when they were well, like, you know. 50 years on, the park would malfunction and then the government would give Delos a defense contract. That's what where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You can't run a park, but can you provide PPE? <laughs> well, you know the the thing about your park is the once they went crazy. I'm not saying it was good that you murdered all those people, but once they went crazy, those robots were good at killing people, and we can think of some uses for that. Can we yeah. drop some of those Westworld uh, gunslingers in Baghdad? Well, the thing is, they touch on that in Jurassic World. So, you know, extending the Crichton sort of world, less so in, and I think corporate greed is definitely a part of Jurassic Park uh, in the book as well as in the film. Um, you know, it, it, when you read the book, um, the character of, of John Hammond is less the sort of the fuzzy grandfather that, that Richard Attenborough brings to the, to the, uh, to the screen. Um, but they do that in, in Jurassic World, this idea that they have the Vincent D'Onofrio characters there with the raptors going, do you know what? These could do some damage in a cave system in the Middle East. You know? yeah. And people have sort of gone, oh, that's a terrible, you know, that wouldn't happen. Whenever I've seen it, I've gone, no, no, no. It, it, I'm pr if we were to perfect gene splicing and cloning in this way, oh, no, don't kid yourself. Like They, they would be mm -hmm. all over it in some capacity for this. So, um yeah, no, I definitely think that's the case. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, you said that you felt, I want to get back to this point you brought up about medieval world and how we don't see enough of it. Um, and I personally suspect that we don't see as much of medieval world and Roman world because of, among other things, the sword problem that mm -hmm. guns... Yeah, no, I mean, it's the point about, like, the bar fight, that if you've actually got bladed weapons swinging around, guests are going to hurt other guests. Yeah. How do you get a, you know, what do you have, a, a sword that knows not to be sharp when it hits a human? Yeah. Well, th th that's the thing. Like, yeah, you can't program the weapon. You'd have to program the android to miss or to, to be slower or to hit softer. Or that. I don't know. Um, th the thing is... I with the worlds, two of them are set up with uh, combat at their heart. You know, Westworld, you think of the Wild West, and the first thing you think about is gunfights. You know, you, that's the straightaway, that's what you go to. You think of European medieval uh, world, and you know, again, you go straight to knights, you know, fighting in arm with swords or jousting and, and that sort of thing. Like, you go to combat. When you go to Roman world, you know, I do. I think gladiatorial. When I think combat, I think okay, gladiatorial combat or um, conquering. When you're in the the soldiers in the army, but then when I think back, when I think of Roman as in the Roman Empire, as what it would have been for most people, that that wouldn't be the fantasy Hollywood version they would give you. You know, you're thinking of like I don't know, like what's it, Cleopatra kind of well, that's in egypt i know but like, yeah that sort of like mark antony and cleopatra kind of hollywood fantasy i don't think that that's based more around sex isn't it and and mm -hmm. um and so I, I think i also think that one of the problems they may have had with roman world is trying to give it a context that w they could have got past the mpr the uh <laughs> you know, the, the the censors um 
Yeah, because it, it's clear that Roman world, even from the very beginning of the film, where they call it the lustful, some sensuous, lustful experience. Like, oh, that's there's no, that's where the that's where the ladies go for the men. Um, yeah, that strikes me as a little a little odd. Um, mm. I mean, I have to say personally, medieval world seems the dumbest to me. I mean, uh, you know. I, I, I love touring castles as much as the next guy, but I, I and I love to live in one today, but I really don't want to live in, you know, dank, you know, <laughs> yes. castles being served yeah. porridge all the time, you know, watching people in clunky armor. Um, Roman world, I mean, yeah, it's, it's also like I imagine, you know, like Mark Antony sitting and eating grapes, right? It's Caligula. Mm-hmm. It's like gluttony's part of it too. Um, but it's like, you know, having servants fan you, you yes. know, there is a, a sensuousness they, the, to that, that goes beyond maybe just the sexual, but you wouldn't think that's exclude. Like why would women prefer that? I mean, there is a sort of, weird statement that this film is making that sort of like men men want that uh, valor of the medieval world and they want to get the queen and mm. i don't know that that's true no it, it does they, they definitely portray roman world as being the, the the more feminine um you know of the worlds uh we've built this for the ladies kind of thing um however <laughs> However, when it does go pear-shaped at the end, when it cuts to those other worlds, Roman world is an absolute bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Of all the worlds, that's the one that looks the worst. That like you've got a guy um, in a toga being bent over and knifed in the stomach by somebody else, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute, like that, like you said with the knives, that world's gone, to, like you know, gone the furthest in the sort of that that fall really, because because the others seem to be set up for combat, so. You might be able to defend yourself at least. Yeah, I, I mean, but you know, you can imagine that that's how it would be, right? You know, all these all these slaves, mm. you know, servicing uh, Roman nobles in, in Roman villas or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, time for the slave uprising. You know, Spartacus. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, 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 and maybe you know, maybe that's what they were intended. I don't know, but it it, it is interesting because the other thing I was thinking about from that point of view um again is when john and peter they sleep with those female sex bots sex droids that's what they are Mm. and there's no um there's no hang-up with that you know and and i know there are like what do you mean though with with, 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 basically they they are you know the autonomous sex toys Mm mm-hmm so they're not sleeping with women, but and you know it's sort of yes, I know there are certain sex toys available today. You know, like there's, there's sex dolls, and I know there's the realistic looking dolls and all that sort of thing. But you'd think there'd be more of a um, oh, I'm, I'm sleeping with a robot. You know, like it's almost like a stigma is probably the wrong word, but like have they got past that then? That like you know, uh. But again, like you say, when we've talked about this in the past, really, like with uh, with Press in like Blade Runner, mm-hmm. you know, like she's a very different kind of droid because they're a bit more biological. But there's still this notion of like well, they're not human. I, mean, I, I and I can imagine if this is the case, there must be some sort of like Christian right group out there that's going, you know, sort of like who will think of the children and how you know the morality of these things. Um, 
I, I don't know. It, it just feels like you say that, that, that when you think of the wider world, have they worked past this notion of, um, you know, for want of a better phrase, yeah, I'm fucking a robot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, this takes place in 1983, far flung 1983, <laughs> uh, you know, where I remember 1983 where we had those uh, sex bots, uh, mm. which actually is the only reason I haven't killed myself. I'm just waiting <laughs> for the sex bots to come out. Um, no, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like, is there is there a hang up about having sex with something that's inorganic? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it almost feels like the hang up that we do see is sort of with that that couple um, that. um he goes off to uh, medieval world and she goes off and there is a sort of like concern of, you know, her going to Roman world and then he, you know, cheats. Mm. That seems to be more the hang up. Like, what is this? Is this cheating? Right. Or is this the same thing as a vibrator, you know, yeah. um, uh, morally? And it seems that that seems to be what the what the movie is saying um like you said um you know you would feel shooting somebody who looks human you know like okay i mean certainly people would feel like i i'm cheating right and and have to have their buddy say ah no you're not it's just a vibrator you know that looks human um what what i think is funny is what i think strikes me most about that sequence is how 1970s it is um (laughs) It's so amazing how much uh, body types have changed, how much our sexual imagery has changed. You see, like, I mean, if you see watch something like, you know, e- even something later, like Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, you mm. think, how are how are these people going to find clients today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the standards of beauty uh, and, and they have the sort of like puffy. First of all, they're blonde. There's, mm. you know, less of a stereotype today of beauty, but you know, it's that puffy hair and you know, they're not as waifish as, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at like Marilyn Monroe, she wouldn't have a career today. No, uh, no. she was more full figured. Well, th- um, these are, these are what? F- five, six years beyond Barbarella. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's so it's a very like you say it's a very similar image that that blonde curvaceous sort of like you know like you say w- weirdly I would say a healthier um, you know sexual body image um, than we have today um, but yeah it does feel very seventies uh, the way it sort of uh, the, the titillation of it as well. Um, uh, you know, it's, yeah. It's... Well, well, there's that scene where she takes her uh, her top off, yeah. <laughs> and it's shot from behind, yeah. so you don't see it, right? Uh, it just seems it seems so repressed, and, and that's also like a, a, such a stereotypical shot, right? Crichton is, you know, uh, using these stereotypical mm. shots, like falling out the window and in slow motion. But it the, feels. The yeah, but it feels like a western. Like when they, mm. like you said, and that I think that's what's good. And the more I think about it, the more appropriate it feels. Like when it's shot in Westworld, it feels like a western. And I can't imagine there being a western where, you know, 
uh, a, a brothel's prostitutes. You know, you would see her boobs in a John Wayne film or a mm. an Eastwood film or something like. They'd there'd be that thing of like the revealing it to the cowboy and then cutting away. Like that would be at least that would be the titillation. And so, and also, like I said, the moment he goes out the out the window, the fact it hits slow mo as he sort of like back rolls down. Uh, down the down the roof and stuff is is very it that feels very western so yeah it definitely feels of its of its era of its period um yeah for sure it does feel very repressed to me mm. you know the idea that you know you wouldn't show the breasts i mean but i feel that way watching old movies too i think you know you you just you gun somebody down <laughs> why why you can't show human anatomy and you got to cut to him smiling the next morning or something you know well look this comes to the nub of it doesn't it violence is okay sex isn't you know sex is is, is is immoral but violence is perfectly acceptable to see people gunned down in the street um again one of the things to, to say that they, you know about that it, again is when it goes pear-shaped at the end and the, the, the you know the virus or whatever it is that sort of takes hold and it's again one of the things i do like is it's never fully explained like is this a computer virus or is it new programming are they are they fighting against their programming whatever um when it does go sort of wrong like it goes wrong like you know really wrong uh, and I like the depictions of that, that like, you know, um, one of the instant responses is to lock down the control center. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when they lock it down, they're like, oh, now we've lost control of the doors, So we're sort of trapped in here. Like, so it's, it's not just going wrong out there. You know, this is one of the, the interesting things about this. This isn't like there's no hero in this that's in the control center frantically tapping away <laughs> you know on their unix system looking for the the right folder to to you know reboot the system like no no like airport con- right the guy in the control tower <laughs> yeah or even even in jurassic park if you're gonna use that comp- comparison mm. like they get to the control center you know dennis nedry leaves them to it but you've luckily got um Christ, the, the girl for you know, but you get the girl who sort of knows you know she's a hacker because that was in in the 90s um, is able to save the system, you know, save the day. There's none of that in this film. Like when it goes back, when it goes wrong, everyone's a bit like, "Yeah, no, it's gone wrong." Like I'm trying, but like, right, we've got to lock down the doors. Okay, we can't breathe in here without the doors being open. Open them up. <laughs> I can't. We've, we're completely locked out the system, and so it goes wrong everywhere. Um, and so, to me, when I see that. Because I'm not used to that. I'm I'm used to seeing like an out, you know, whether it be a do six machina or or whatever. There's usually a way out. There's not. So when Pete runs, and especially when you, he comes across that mechanic and stuff, and you're watching the violence play out across the other worlds, um, like you know, there's no one coming to save him. And yeah. and that that feels, uh, you know, uh, I like that. That it is. It's that you said about the horror. Like, yeah, there's no one coming to save him. He is alone in this. He is literally being hunted by this thing, and um, you know there is no one that's going to go like all computers stop. <laughs> you know, there's there's no saving at this at this point. Because even if the one thing I say at the end of this film, the one thing I I can I think he beats. Um, because the, the, oh, the one thing is there is a Deus Ex Machina they've only got a limited power source and they're off grid right. so they've all got a limited power source but you don't know how long that is so the moment 
he kills or he beats the, the gunslinger, like you're not, you're still not sure he's safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and he he beats him really like three times. Yeah. Um, but they, but really, y- your interpretation is that at the end, where we see the blackened, burned up gunslinger, you know, and he falls without a face, that he's run out of charge right then. As he's menacing him. Basically, it's almost the way I I read it was the everything that's happened to him, like you know, the acid in his face, and then he gets burnt, and then he falls off the the high stairs. Like basically, the unit has just taken enough of a beating that it's gone like, yeah, we're beyond repair, and it just Mm -hmm. sort of breaks. It's you know, that's that's it's it's hit its durability limit at that point, really. Yeah, that that's how I interpret it too. So, I mean, for me, I would say, like, that deus ex, that easy out, that mm. deus ex machina of running out of charge is never used. Mm. That's not how he gets away from it. Um, and it's interesting, you know, they, they have this line of dialogue where they're like, the charge could be an hour or it could be 12. Um, and when you see Roman world, cl- all the robots are the, he, clearly the gunslinger is the only active robot in all yeah. of this. Um, including medieval world. I love seeing, um, it's a minor thing, but seeing the queen and the black knight on the throne as if like, you know, uh, you know, you, you, what does it mean to have conquered the world, you know, yeah. uh, you know, to, to not be able to enjoy it. Um, yeah, but I, the control room thing, I, I'm kind of irritated by the, the air conditioning, the, the suffocation thing. Like, do you really, you know, have you designed the system to require electricity to not suffocate in a room? That seems ridiculous to me. But I hadn't thought about the point you're making that there really is no good guy in this movie. Mm. Uh, and there, it's not just that there's no rescue. I mean, even uh, Peter, who's as good as this movie has to a protagonist, is not noble at all. There's no heroics. I mean, he just decides I'm going to save myself. And I mean, the closest to a heroic moment is when um, he talks to the Delos guy in the cart and the Delos guy is like, yeah, there's nothing you could do. He's going to hunt you down. (laughs) The Delos guy, he should say like, well, he's going to run out of charge at some point. You know, instead, he basically does the like I thought of. uh you know, it's the, it's the guy from the future in Terminator who's just like, yeah, you don't trust me. You can't. You have to eliminate. He will a, a not C-8 stop. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You cannot reason with him. You cannot bargain with him. You, he just will not stop. It, yeah. He, he basically. Yeah. But like with a, like a, like any panicky employee where he's I like the fact there's a technician because he admits that like or he's there to fix the robots. And I like the fact there's almost like a, an employee panic there of like, I hope I don't lose my job. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know it's my job to fix these things, but I'm not responsible for this. This is bigger than me. Um, and, but you know, but it's, it's then that uh, Peter says like, no, I'm not going to give up, you know. And yeah. that's as close as you have to like a heroic moment in this whole movie, which is awesome. It, it is, yeah. What I, What's interesting is usually... Um, there's like a build-up, isn't there? There's like a, an arc of, of, like you say, by the end of the film, he's the badass. You know, he's gone from being the wimpy kid to the badass by the end because of that learning of things. 
but it, it never, like I say, that never really happens. Um, yeah, you know, he has the moment where he bursts in in his towel and shoots Brit, you know, the Yulbrunner, the, the gunslinger out the window. But even then, that's not like, yeah, that's it's play acting. Like, he know, you know, at that point, he didn't feel like he was under threat. Like, he kicks the door in and, and you know, he feels he's understood that it's robots. Like I said, the fantasy is within its parameters. So he's still, you know, it's not a wholly heroic moment. Um, it, and that, that thing of just saying surviving is, like I say, it's as close as you get to heroic because it's not even really heroic. It's just being stroppy or stubborn, isn't it, really? He's like, no, I'm going to survive and I'm going to do this. The fact of the matter is, though, they don't team up. You know, because the Delos employees a bit mm. like, yeah, you're screwed. Like he's coming for you, and he will not stop. And like, I could fit, I can fix these androids, but I'm not going to try and get between him and you. So mm-hmm. like, even the, even the Delos employees, like you're on your own. Like you know, there's no jump in the car. It will be quicker on this car than it is on the horse. Yeah. Or right. I, I know a way back to the bunker where we can do something about this. That that would be the the new film if this was remade. That meeting would happen, they would team up, and then it would be them two racing against the clock to get to, I don't know, pulling a pro, flicking a switch, doing something to, you know, or Peter would then be the defender of the um, Delos employee. He, and he would be the cargo and you'd have to get him across somewhere. Oh, we've got to get to the, I've got to get to this place in medieval world or Roman world to, to flip this switch. If I can get this key to that place, <laughs> all the robots will switch off and we'll be safe. Um, but yeah, no, he doesn't. He's just like, yeah, you're screwed. I'm off. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what is the point of the Delos guy? Right. I mean, he's just there to stay. No, you're really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no plot point to him. Um, and yet it's kind of, I love that he's there because it, it is just this sense of chaos of sort of like everything is out of control. It's every man for himself, uh, you know. Um, but it does, it, it is a way of sort of like ratcheting up the stakes. Yes. And also having the gunslinger kill somebody else. Yeah. Because you don't have that many characters to kill. So, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's just establishing the stakes, isn't it? Like, you know, that, oh, yeah, no, we know what this is. And, you know, this is how much trouble you are in is really what it's for. Um, but I, like I said, I also like the fact, yeah, it, it's just an, it's another kill. Um, but I, I also like you, like you say, that it's about this chaos. It's a breakdown of the rules. You've seen already the, the care they take. You know, yes, there's some logic gaps on it, but the care they take to come out in the dead of night, you know, to be as quiet as possible, take away the bodies and then disappear. Like you are not supposed to when you're in the fantasy, you're not supposed to see Delos at all. You, you know, he's separate from you. And the fact this guy's just sort of like tugging along in a car and he, <laughs> he he has no care that he's come across an employee, you know, like if you go back to Disney uh idea like if you were to turn a corner and find someone in a big styrofoam costume without their mickey mouse head on yeah you you know there would be hell to pay yeah you know that's i mean this isn't as bad as that but like this is a similar thing where yeah. all of a sudden they're out in the open and you're like oh no things well, have got as bad as that right i mean this yeah. is exactly the same thing i mean this is somebody whose job it is to never be seen yeah and all of a sudden he's like i don't care it's gone that bad right. that i'm just doing my best to get out of the way yeah, that's uh, a good point. That even his appearance is 
just a, a visual sign that every all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah, no, as you said, everyone from every man for himself. Like the, the rules of this fantasy no longer apply. Um, and I, so I do like that that it is that sort of like uh, you know, and and then it breaks down further because it it allows you to break it further then to, for for Pete to then enter the laboratory or the the tech lab or whatever you want us to call it. Um, uh, you know, because you've got that connection with Delos then, and I do like all that like going into the sort of thing and it breaks that fantasy and you're going into the modern world and he sees behind the scenes. Um, and so I, I do like that, you know, like a bit like you said with Disney World again, like those um, corridors that just run off mm. under everything. Like, you know that this whole lab sort of like runs for miles under this yeah. resort, which is so awesome. Um, so no, I, I do like the finale of this film, like that third act. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I always forget that he, is chased uh, or, you know, he escapes through medieval world and through Roman world. Like, mm. that's so unnecessary for the plot. It's just like, you know, let's show those another time. He could just as easily find a great out in the in the Old West, you know, outside of town. Um, I do like the sign where it's like, guests don't go any further. How many miles did he run? <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, this must be many, many miles. He's basically circumnavigated all of the three worlds, you know, the whole Delos compound. That's a really good point because you see a map of it at the beginning of the film, and it's two very distinct. I mean, it's it's a bit like a theme park map because the proportions are slightly off, but it's quite clear that they are not. You could you can't see Westworld from medieval world. Right. Yeah. They they've all there's like a, a trail on the map between. Yeah. Them, but clearly, it's. I mean, if there was a whole medieval village, a whole Roman village, a whole, you know, Western village, there's quite a bit. Of, I mean, you see them out in the country, uh, mm -hmm. even in the Western area. There's nothing in sight. Yeah. Clearly, this is a long way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because when they say they could last the, the robots, they can last an hour, they could last 12 hours. When by the end of the film, they're stuck, you know, it does do that shot of it going through the different worlds and they're all just dormant. I'm like, how long has this, has he been running? You know, we haven't seen obviously all of it, but so how long has he been being pursued by uh, the gunslinger? Um, I don't know. Passage of time is a bit iffy towards the end of this film. Yeah. But I do, I'm with you, I do like, I, I feel like that's kind of unnecessary. And, and I do think the balancing of those three worlds is, is a little strange. But I love the stuff in the corridors. I love mm -hmm. the desperation. Um, along with logical problems in this movie, you know, like both of us, when we see that nighttime retrieval, sort of are like, yeah, this is cool, good idea. But we instantly think like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, same thing when I see the heat vision, you know, and how it's shorted out being next to a torch, you know, <laughs> it's like, OK, where was this heat vision earlier? You know, how does this work? And then you see it's shorted out next to a torch. Well, then how does any robot function in the medieval world, which is all lit by torches? Well, um, that's, also, that's also his upgrade. They also highlight that they've upgraded him. Oh, yes. Have, right. have heat vision. And you're like. This sounds like this is a bit of a hindrance. I mean, if if they were to have robots with this heat vision or this this new vision upgrade in Westworld, they would have the same problem because they still have gas lamps mm -hmm. um, 
as, as their lighting system. So they'd still be producing a similar way of heat. So that, yeah, you'd still have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, you know, I do like the sort of like callback to, to sort of Frankenstein, this sort of uh, moment there and sort of, you know, fire, mm. you know, fear of fire and being, but, you know, I, I do love the visual of, um, you know, so I'm, I guess I'm not convinced by parts of the chase, but I love the visual of being underground, uh, sort of the hydrochloric acid, is, you know, and, and hiding. Wouldn't he see that you're red hot and all of that? You know, I mean, there's logical problems like that, but I love the uh, visual of both the underground area generally. And I also love the visual of the gunslinger with the melted face mm. and then all burned up and the face falling off. I mean, basically every time the face plate comes off, I'm totally sold on this movie. There are several, because obviously all practical and the mm. way they've done it is there's some very good editing and shifting going on in this film to, to do those things. I mean, um, when, um, they do show the technical thing of they go around the lab and they're doing bit by bit. There's several occasions where the camera is sort of filled by a white jacket. You know, you've panned up the body and you've seen it's one of the, it's the one of the characters you've identified. Daphne is one of them at one point, and they they're going to have a look. But they do it obviously with the with the gunslinger as well. It pans up. You see Yul Brynner's face, and then like a white jacket gets in the way, and then it sort of leans back, and then all of a sudden they're taking the faceplate off, and I'm like. It looks very smooth, like the editing and stuff in it is very good, and, and it's a very well shot uh, sequence. They do it again and again, but also, like you say, once uh, the gunslinger falls, the burnt gunslinger falls off those the medieval steps, and then the the turns round like it, it lurches. It does that again. The horror thing is it the sort of the killer's final lurch before it collapses, and his face is gone, and it, it's a very good effect. Uh, and it's very effective because the face plates on the floor and it's, it's just this hollow face. Um, it's very striking. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, absolutely. The, again, like you get the technical issues and th again, this comes from a, a budget and I think technical understanding is that when they are talking, as you can probably see us, if you're watching the video, our lips are moving and our jaws are moving and that sort of thing. But when you <laughs> remove, remove the face plate, it's just a tube. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and things like that. But um, other than that, like little nitpicks and stuff, I, I love the designs of uh, of some of the the robot aspects of these uh, these androids. Yeah, and uh, I was just thinking, like those those shots. I, I don't know that all of those FX shots are equally good. Some I sort of think, like, you know, I see the edges there. Mm. Um, but many of them compare favorably to like. Uh, you know, times where they do that exact same thing on Next Generation 15 years later or even mm. 20 years later. Um, you know, so, yeah, they look very good. That faceplate is great. Um, and again, you know, for me, the whole back half of this movie, if what I remember about the first half of this movie is basically I basically remember Peter and John and just a series of vignettes. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I love I think that's the way to do it. Right. Just give us the cool little chapters. You know, we don't need everything. You know, think of the implications of this universe and give us little vignettes about it. String those in an order. Fine. We're done. Forty five minutes. The back end. I just remember Yul Brenner. 
just, you know, that unstoppable guy. And the hydrochloric acid, you know, I don't care. You know, it doesn't really make sense. But I love that he's, you know, it's very Terminator-like. It's just Mm. you cannot stop him. His face is melted, you know. He's set on fire. He keeps coming. And you're all alone. Nobody knows. You're out there, you know. Eventually, authorities are going to respond. But nobody's going to come in time. Yeah. You've got to stop. And that is that works remarkably well. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's really effective. Even even up until we reach the... Um... Uh, the laboratory area, the tech area, like means pursued through the desert. I mean, this is the thing. Like, it feels like um, a western. You know, like when when he shoots John, and then they run for the horses, and they both go from their horses. Like, it still feels in that western mode. Like, you know, he's the Yule Brenner's dressed like he was in uh, the Magnificent Seven, like all in black. So, you know, he now he's the quintessential villain, and he's going to chase him into the desert. It still feels like a western. It's the moment he meets the Delos employee that it starts to turn because then you see the Delos employee gets shot by and you're like, okay, like this thing doesn't care. It's just, it's on a killing spree. It's on a mission and it seems to have targeted Peter. And that's let's say, when the Terminator sort of like aesthetic kicks in and that's when you, you get that wonderful shot of it walking up the corridor and the lights are, you know, uh, it's steps from in, in and out of the dark. I, I love that shot. Um, and he, he, they have a glassiness to their eyes, though. Once they malfunction, they give it like a glassiness to its eyes. And again, I love that yeah. effect. But the one thing I find the most interesting is he's been attacked. He's got he's had the acid in his face, and then he chases Peter further, and he tries to shoot him down, and the gun fails. Mm-hmm. And he looks at the gun, and it says battery empty or battery low or something. And he just chucks it to the floor and carries on going. And and then I'm like, well, he hasn't got a gun anymore. What the fuck is he going to do when he gets hold of him? Like He's, he's determined to kill him unless he's going to go, tag, you're it, and then run off giggling. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I'm like, oh, okay, what is he going to throttle him? Is he going to punch him out? Like, what is going to happen Strangle now? Him or, yeah. yeah. Like it becomes a bit more brutal at that point. Like chasing him down with a gun, and this comes back to this whole thing we've said with medieval world and Roman world. Trying to shoot someone down from a distance is one thing, but when it gets up and close, if this thing is trying to kill you, like it, it you know, I'm assuming it would be stronger. Probably, like I say, it's a bit more durable. Um, it becomes a real threat at that point to me. Yeah, I mean, stronger and durable minus water, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean. I hadn't thought about that, but that's that's a very good point about throwing the gun away and then and then it becoming kind of like hand to hand. Um, I just kind of cringe at wow, where you see the gun and it says battery, you know, in red, and each other it's like, where was that battery indicator? Yeah. You know, this is clearly what, just what a regular the, gun. What does the battery do? Well, I guess it monitors whether the heat of the target. To make sure that it, but and and then I guess when if it doesn't have power, shuts the gun down. I mean, but it's clearly just a gun, all right. I mean, there's no battery indicator. It's there's never a convincing explanation for how it's judging heat and and doing any of this. Uh, So I mean, it is one of those kind of like, you know, it it is one of those moments where you think you just cut to that shot and you think. Yeah, 
I see the only reason why they kept this was because they had to justify getting rid of the gun. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, it doesn't make sense that your Brenner suddenly doesn't have his gun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, Crichton kind of cringed looking at that cut shot to battery low, you know. Yeah. I thought, oh, God, yeah, I have to keep that. It's, yeah. It, uh, look, look at the film as a whole, though. Is it, you've just said about the sections, like you know, it, it, one of the things I, th- I find most enjoyable about this film is, it, like you say, it rockets on at ninety minutes, um, and you know the pace is pretty good. It, it contains a lot of information and a lot that's going on, and takes that left turn for the sort of the finale. But I'm never bored in this film. Yeah, that you know we, we've talked about some of the logic gaps in things, and you know as we've said that there have been we've said it before like there are films where those logic gaps would wind us up no end mm-hmm. in other films where we would really rail on those things but that tells me that i'm probably a bit bored but i'm just not with this film like you know i love yeah. the aesthetic i think the cast are good i think the idea is solid and it just because it's not a three hour or two and a half hour film i'm like yeah, i'm on board it's good fun you know it's silly but has some interesting themes um yeah like, you know, I'm willing to forgive those silly things from uh, collecting the bodies in a truck to <laughs> to low battery on a gun. Like, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm willing to forgive them for this film. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think, I mean, the film itself is an idea, right? Mm. It's, you know, all right, a an amusement park populated by androids. You know, it's like Frontierland at Disney. Just, you know, I mean, and don't forget Disney had all those animatronics, right? It was famous for animatronics. So, all right, we're just going to take that one step further. Mm. And what if it was for adults, you know? And then everything else is just kind of like a a little idea, you know? Like, okay, well, they haven't thought really thought about how this would work, but they've thought about it enough to think, okay, they could have multiple parks. Okay, there's a control room. Okay, you know, when do they service these? Well, they come out at night while everyone's sleeping, you know? They, you know, how do they keep the guns from shooting each other? Well, okay, there's this heat sensor. You know, we'll throw that in. They haven't done the same thinking about swords. But, mm. you know, I mean, all of these are just kind of like little riffs, little ideas. It's such a simple idea for a movie. Such a simple idea. And at 90 minutes, you get in, you get those vignettes. Some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, most of them do to one degree or another. I think the stuff that bores me the most is the uh, medieval world stuff, mm. you know, with with that guy. And, you know, it's like, you know, the Black Knight is coming tomorrow. And, you know, um, the Daphne stuff is better. But that whole thing of like, I want to be the king and be with the queen and, you know, the Black Knight. Who gives a shit? You know, yeah. but, I like the I like the fight, though. <laughs> the fight with the Black Knight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, because the Black Knight is malfunctioning and, mm. you know, it's a real fight. Yeah, I, I like that, you know, there is a kind of like beyond the sexual politics. I mean, like somebody could write a paper about like all of these sort of Chekhov's guns in this movie that don't go off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about, uh, I mean, like running out of power doesn't really wind up being important. Uh, Daphne being shorted out by water not really important the hands mm. not really important um and then uh the queen says 
that the Black Knight basically can't look left, you know, like as a weak left side, you know, that, then that's how you win. That does not wind up being important in the fight at all. He doesn't even seem to remember it or try to exploit it. Um, there's an odd kind of like pattern of all of these Chekhov guns never wind, wind up going off. It's Yeah, I agree. Some of them are there to try and facilitate something else, but that's, that's not story, isn't it? Like, yeah. I find the thing with the because the thing with the Queen saying that about the Black Knight, oh, he, he has a you know he's a he, whatever he's blind, his left sided, his weak side, and he has a you know if you basically slightly blind in the eye or whatever. There's a technician watching that who then goes, mm-hmm. remember to make the Black Knight blind in his left <laughs> side, and I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute, did she riff on that? Yes, did that android absolutely. just did that. Riff, that android <laughs> just made that up. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. So yeah, like you know, that there's things like that that, like you say, they they're not there, or the, 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 they don't appear to be there to be a Chekhov's gun. They're there to show you how something else works. And if I'm honest, I think that's more what Crichton is interested in. You know, this as you say, this is an idea, and I think that's where Jurassic Park comes from. He made this film, wasn't able to do the vision that was in his head for budgetary and and visual effects purposes. And so went away and wrote Jurassic Park in a similar way, because Jurassic Park deals with the science and the the technology behind it in a lot more detail. Uh, And that's Mm -hmm. a very sort of two handed book in that sense. But again, like with the Daphne thing, like you say, it's just this weird thing where like they've made out that he has to use hydrochloric acid to take out the gunslinger. And then a sip of water takes her out. And I'm like, Book it over his head, then would have been fine, wouldn't it? And you, the end of the film, right? Um, just get some in his mouth. I mean, <laughs> hose. Well, and the other thing is, like, I mean, having dealt with hydrochloric acid, you know, in science experiments and stuff, mm. does it really melt this guy's face? You know, like, I mean, this is overdone. Like, who yeah. thinks throwing hydrochloric acid in a robot's face is going to destroy him? Uh, it's a little strange. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that you're right there. They are definitely sort of like you know. Check off guns that don't don't go anywhere, and that's a shame. Um, well, I kind of like it. I mean, you know, in some ways, it's the haphazard notion of the, of this of this movie where the logic there are these logical problems, but you're just along for the ride, and it's a short ride. It's an amusement park ride. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's, it's a fun exactly amusement that. park ride of a movie. But I kind of like that. Like, it's you know, in a in a movie that doesn't amount to too much. We've managed to find out, like, to find deep themes about mankind's nature, yeah. about human nature, when we're allowed in a universe in which there are no rules. Um, you know, that there's no hero. I mean, you know, and also that all of these structural elements of Chekhov's guns that don't go off for a movie that really doesn't amount to an awful lot and isn't really all that ambitious. Uh, as a movie, it manages to do these really different ambitious things mm-hmm. that I really admire it for. I don't know that all of them are deliberate, but they're really cool. Yeah, and the other thing is, it's like you say, it's insanely influential. Mm. You know, like you said about like there's there's uh, there is Westworld fingerprints all over the Terminator. Uh, and obviously then, you know, Crichton went away and created Jurassic Park, which then became, you know, a massively successful uh, Spielberg film. And, um, you know, it's clear that Spielberg went and watched this film. 
you know, because I think there mm-hmm. are shots and things within within Jurassic Park that are clear homages to uh, Westworld, and then the TV show, which we'll get to from next week or the next episode, re- again taps into those themes that we've just talked about, or they've gone that they've probably sat down and done the same thing as a story group and gone, <laughs> this idea doesn't quite work in this way. How would we do it today? Um, because I think that the, the TV show does try and address a lot of these things. Um, but yeah. I, right, I, I I recommend this film. It's good fun. It's yeah. just a good fun film. It's a 70s film. Uh, There's a lot of fun. What I wouldn't recommend, and we won't talk about much, is Future oh, yes. World, its sequel, which is dreadful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not good. Look, I mean, the worst thing, Westworld, is, it's, it's 90 minutes. You know, you might say, I'm not in love with it, but you're going to have a good time. Future World? It ha- you know, Future World is organized around the idea that Delos has reopened after Westworld. Mm. And I, I'm glad we're not going to talk about it. But it's reopened after Westworld. But then it, it, you uncover this conspiracy to replace the world's leaders with androids, which is such a cliche, right? Mm-hmm. You could do a version of that and do it well, uh, especially as a metaphor for corporate greed. But the movie just does not. And yeah. Nothing in that movie. It's got ideas that I like, but nothing in that movie really works. Um, and then I haven't even seen more than the pilot. Uh, there was Beyond Westworld. There was a TV series, which is like if you thought Westworld had too big of a budget and <laughs> too many androids, have we got a show for you? Yeah, it's terrible. It didn't go far, yeah. No, I mean it's one of those again. The idea is that you can you can see why people have gone. This is a good idea, but it needs budget, it needs storytelling, mm. and it needs it needs craft and creativity. I mean, to talk about future world, one of the things was, and this was a this was a direct, as I believe, was a direct note from the uh, studio is we want Yul Brenner on the poster, so mm. he needs to be in the film, but the character doesn't fit in any way in the film, so they insert some weird really uncomfortable dream sequence where one of the female leads has a like a ballroom dance with the gunslinger i haven't watched it in a while because i hate it I, i'm not a fan of the film yeah. but I, all the rumors is a dance sequence and just being like baffled as to what the hell was going on so i do remember yeah. like at the end it's kind of like a reporter uh as the main character mm-hmm. And he's kind of like caught up in all of this. And he has this girl. I, and I don't remember she's a reporter too. But I, I, I liked at the end, they're sort of just leaving Future World and they barely made it out. And and there's a kind of like, you know, sense of them in these this vast room as they're leaving. And and it and it has a feeling to it that I that I like of sort of like there is a version of this movie that could be done that's good mm-hmm. um but it's but it just is not enjoyable and there's and none of it works uh in in quite the opposite way that there's a lot that is wrong with west with westworld but all of it works or 90 yeah. plus percent of it just works future world is the opposite there's stuff that's smarter in future world than than elements of westworld but it just does not it falls on its face nothing works in that movie yeah repeatedly yeah, we won't be doing it. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll say I'll save everybody. I'll save everybody that chore. Uh, but yes, so that that was Westworld, 1973's Westworld, the first stab at this this idea of the the, the theme part that goes wrong. Um, but we are going to be revisiting uh, Westworld over the next three episodes, and we are going to be looking at the TV series, the HBO. Uh, TV series run for three seasons. So, starts from the next episode, we'll be looking at season one, uh, and I think it's called The Maze. So, each season sort of has a, a name. And uh, so, I, I've only seen the first season and bits and pieces of the rest. I think I've seen most of the second series. So, looking forward to really getting into this and uh, exploring this in more detail and seeing if they are able to tell this story uh, in a more modern and uh, deeper way. As am I. I, I mean, I've seen the first two seasons. I haven't seen mm. the third. Um, but I was so excited for, you know, in, in some ways, not to spoil it, in some ways, I love it. In other ways, I'm disappointed by it. But having uh, Jonathan Nolan mm. do a reboot of Westworld, as much as we love Westworld, it's got so much opportunity to expand that idea and flesh it out and deal with other things. Um it seems like such a no-brainer to reboot that and deal with some AI stuff as well and identity that I'm so glad that they did do that, mm. even though, you know, we'll get into the results. Yes. Yes, we will, we will talk about those as we go. But uh, Julian, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh... My pleasure. I've learned about Westworld by talking to you. Yes, yeah. me too. No, it's always good. So, yes, we've, we've travelled Westworld and we'll be back in the next episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much and uh, we shall see you again soon. <laughs>